I'll tell you my approach to medicine. It is a game. It is a game in which man pits his brain against the forces of destruction and disease. In the beginning, I don't expect you to be able to participate in the game. You'll only listen and accept. You will study and you will make notes and you will memorize. And you will do all this only because I tell you to. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week we are on our second movie in the 1942 nominees, King's Row, starring Anne Sheridan, Robert Cummings, and Ronald Reagan. In what turns out to be kind of hilariously good casting as he spends the last third of the movie complaining about how we need a better welfare state. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I hope that it says a lot about this movie that I found Ronald Reagan's character to be one of the least reprehensible in the entire film. Yeah, I... God, this movie, this movie is so wild because it keeps throwing new exposition at you in 15 minute chunks and then going, but forget all of that new movie for the first like two thirds of the movie. You're not really in just letting stuff play out until Reagan gets his legs chopped off, which is well over an hour into the movie. Well, and even then... Reagan's character sure has an arc that plays out, but Robert Cummings' character, who is arguably the lead, I guess, he's having random new things come up. I think it was seven minutes before the end of the film was the last time that I checked and went, are we serious that we're bringing in a whole new element right now? Doesn't his love interest, his actual eventual love interest come in that late? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we start, as all great medical melodramas do, with a bunch of (laughs) nine-year-olds. Yes. (laughs) It's 1890, and you're in King's Row, which is a... I should have written down the town motto, because it was a good place to live, a fine place, a place to raise your kids. No, it was a good place to live, a good place to raise your kids, and then a good place to do something, a good something else. Because it had good in it four times, and I (laughs) went, what the fuck? (laughs) Come up with another word, King's Row. In a weird way, that kind of presages the, like, hot fuzz-esque twist that there's a mad serial killer on the loose about decency in this town. (laughs) But none of that is really relevant for, like, another hour and 30 minutes. For now, we're just setting up that the young version of our lead is in love with the young version of a girl named Cassandra. It's always a good sign when they're named Cassandra. Yeah, and his name is Paris. Yeah, and then he goes to Europe, but not to Paris for like 40 minutes of the movie, which is not at all confusing. Or Greece. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the backstory there is people are being mean to Cassandra He has a very clear crush on her. They're like childhood sweethearts. He befriends the kid who eventually becomes Ronald Reagan by just going like, yeah, let's play by the railroad tracks. And then Cassandra, no, not Cassandra's dad. The other town doctor is a creepy jerk. 
about kidney stones? What is that operation in the opening section? Who cares? Uh, somebody has something like boils or I don't know what it is. Something that they need to get ablated off and he doesn't use any kind of anesthesia, local or otherwise, and... Yeah. Anyway, the only part of this that actually... No, none of this was necessary, but the only part of it that even is relevant and isn't just repeated five times is that Cassandra's mom is kind of like a shut-in and never leaves her room, and you don't know why. And then we time skip to when they're years old, in like early adulthood or late teens, who can tell? They're out of high school, I guess. Right. But he's studying to be a doctor by not going to college and just studying with Cassandra's dad, who is played by Claude Rains. And I kind of liked that character until the denouement of his storyline. Oh, God. Where, yeah, that was the point where halfway through the movie... I sent you a text, David, and I was like, I don't want to watch the rest <laughs> yeah. of Yeah. But we'll get to it. <laughs> um, Claude Rains is Cassandra's dad, who's a prickly doctor who, like, cares about doctoring more than the other bad doctor dad. Honestly, it's one of those performances that's like, you're too good for this movie. It's distracting that you can act. Please stop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because Ronald Reagan's full acting and defining of his character, whose name is Drake McHugh, is that he goes, a lot. And then that just stops, like, after the first scene of him as an adult. That is, honestly, more character traits than our ostensible lead is given. It's not Robert Cummings' fault, but people just tell Paris what to do for this entire movie. Like, I think he makes one relevant decision ten minutes before the end of the movie, and it's incredibly stupidly obvious. Other than that, people are just like, you should be a psychiatrist. And he goes, okay. That's basically the whole plot with Cassandra's dad. Right. Is they have discussions about what makes a good doctor. And he goes, have you read this? And Paris is like, psychology. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, you'll be great at it. And (laughs) Paris is like, okay. Yeah, I'll become a psychologist. Sure. And the reason that this is, is Cassandra, I guess she's manic depressive, but- She just, like, miscellaneous has psychological problems. Which her mom also did, and apparently the way of treating this was Dr. Tower, who the movie frames as a good guy. I really want to drive home that he is spooky and mysterious, and then the movie comes to know him, and it's like, actually, he's a very good husband and father who made all of these sacrifices for his wife and child. This is important that you know that the movie wants you to buy into this wholeheartedly. Yes. Was to lock up his wife, who had some kind of psychological issue, which is why all the kids didn't like Cassandra, because her house was like the creepy Dickens house. (laughs) And right after her 10th birthday or something, that's when he pulls her out of school and Cassandra is never seen again by anyone except when Paris starts studying with her dad He occasionally sees her and she is kind of like a 20-year-old Miss Havisham. (laughs) That's sort of what she's playing. And then I thought we were going to just get straight to 
just about the time even dimwit Paris has put together that she is not behaving normally and might be suffering some psychological distress, um, she goes home and then Ronald Reagan just announces that her father has poisoned her and then shot himself, which it comes that much out of nowhere. Yes. And a better movie, I think, could spend some time on Dr. Tower's deep psychological distress, his shame at having this family with psychological problems that can't be treated because it's 1898 or whatever. And mental health stigma. And yeah, I mean, there could be something here. Right. But the movie doesn't want to wrestle with that because it only cares about how the trauma of women affects Ronald Reagan and his friend. Oh, no, David. You are giving this movie way, way too much of a pass because the movie not only doesn't want to wrestle with this, the movie thinks this was a good and correct sacrifice that he made. Dr. Tower leaves all of his property to Paris, his student, and Paris finds in his notebooks the explanation for this, which is that the good doctor murdered his child and committed suicide for Paris's benefit to save him from the catastrophe of marrying Cassandra, and that that was a noble thing that he did. That is so fucked up. Yeah, I mean, not even to the movie's credit, but just to contextualize it properly to move on to the next thing, the movie seems to believe that was the best decision he could have made given the circumstances. It was a tragic situation, and it was tragic that he had to do that, but that was the right thing to do. Right. By making that sacrifice, Paris can go to Europe and create a future where the future Cassandras can be treated for whatever the movie never specifies because it doesn't actually care. Yeah, they say something about her having depressive psychosis or I don't... It's like, throw some psychology words at it that don't actually make any sense. Uh, Meanwhile, Ronald Reagan has a plot and it's that he... Has a first love, but he's busy gallivanting around with other ladies sometimes. And so that first love's parents forbid her from seeing him anymore. And her dad is the sadistic local doctor. Yeah, is the local doctor who's actually worse than the one that murders his daughter and then kills himself. Yes. Uh, Ronald Reagan then gets involved with a girl from the wrong side of the tracks. And they have a bunch of discussions about which side of the tracks they're on. And then the town banker runs away with all of Ronald Reagan's money, and he has to start working at the railroad, and there's a railroad accident, and then the super evil Dr. Dad cuts off his legs, and it turns out he didn't need to do that. It's immediately obvious that that is true, but the movie spends like 40 minutes on the complete breakdown of Ronald Reagan's first love and her being institutionalized and Paris coming to see her. And it's like, yeah, doesn't everyone in the town know? He's super evil all the time about everything. Yeah, everybody who's ever been treated by the guy has a story about how he did something that made absolutely no sense from a first do no harm standpoint. So it's not a surprise at all when Louise... His daughter says, oh, yeah, I know secretly that he was doing all of these horrible things. Yeah, not a secret, dude. And in the long list of why is Dr. Tower supposed to be a good guy, he seems to definitely know. (laughs) 
there's like a weird scene with Paris early on where he seems to imply at least that something's weird with this other doctor, but he's like, oh, you'll find out in good time, my boy. And it's like, he's amputating people without permission. <laughs> Go to the police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reagan doesn't have legs anymore and he's really broken up about it. And Paris comes back and figures out that he didn't need to have his legs amputated and falls in love with a girl that sits in the same spot Cassandra sits in. And who lives in his old house. Definitely how you want to choose a wife. Not creepy at all. Yep. Not a sign that this guy is just listlessly going through life and picking up whatever the world throws at him. He tells Drake about the leg thing and Ronald Reagan's like, I'll get by somehow. And Paris is like, great, now I can fall in love with my one true love that I met seven minutes ago. And the film ends. Yep. Oh, but first he has to save Louise from being committed because her mom wants to commit her because Louise is going to tell everyone that Dr. Gordon cut off Reagan's legs just to spite him so that he wouldn't get married to Louise. Right. Or because he owed him some sort of recompense for being a bad person because... He went out buggy riding with some girls in the town who were like, they don't say loose, but they're like, girls like that. Uh, But this also means I've skipped over the other thing, which is why Paris is a complete piece of shit, which is that he kind of idly muses about having Louise institutionalized for his own convenience, even though he knows she's not insane. Oh, right. Yeah. So that Reagan won't find out because, yeah, actually... It will be better if he never knows. And then 15 seconds later, is like, I'm not your friend. I'm not somebody you know. You're not my friend. I'm your doctor and you're my patient. And therefore, everything I just told your wife about how it will destroy you if you know about your legs is out the window and I have changed my mind. (laughs) I get why this is what propelled Reagan to stardom because he's the only person that's recognizably human in this film. He also has the big tear-jerkery, like, ah, ain't it a shame part. Robert Cummings just has nothing to hold on to. Paris isn't a person. He just makes no sense. Paris is actually one of the more rational decision-makers in this film. Yeah, but no one knows why. Right. I, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's the whole movie. Toward the middle, before Reagan gets his legs cut off where he loses his trust fund because the banker just absconds with it and he has to go to work for the railroad which is why he is in a position to get injured and the doctor can fake that he got crushed by the train and that's why he cut off his legs even though the guy who picks him up and takes him into the railroad depot where the surgery takes place is like yeah his legs were fine Which you you think you'd kind of like mention that before years later. (laughs) This is just too much movie. Like it needed to pick a lane and spend some time on the psychological portrait of either of these doctors. I would watch a movie that's Claude Rains struggling with the fact that like psychiatric care effectively doesn't exist. And he just has no idea what to do about his wife and daughter in this cloistered town that's super judgmental. And I would watch a movie about a small town doctor who has decided he is the moral authority of God 
and performs surgery on people deciding whether they're good or evil. But this movie is just like, oh yeah, by the way, th- that was going on. Right. You need to set that up. You need to like talk about that to some degree. And so instead it just spends its time on the wacky adventures of Ronald Reagan and a guy that's just there. Yeah. And it's wild, but not in an interesting way, unfortunately. Just in a what movie are we in now kind of a way. Well, and it's so melodramatic and there's so much in this movie that's just wildly unbelievable. I feel like even in the 1890s, if a father had killed his child and then shot himself no one would go yeah what a hero good guy can't believe what a committed and loving father he was for doing that right the wildest thing about it is this movie clearly thinks it has a progressive view on mental health (laughs) which i feel like even for the 40s it doesn't Right. But it's that thing of like, we've recognized it's a real problem. Now we've done no research into it and have no idea how it works. Well, yeah. And I guess the thing is like mental health issues are a real problem. And look how terrible things used to be when parents used to commit murder suicides over it. Except, given the circumstances, murder-suicide seemed like kind of a good thing. And you're like, no, no, that's no. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's the Wikipedia page actually has what the sign says. Oh. A good town, a good clean town, a good town to live in, and a good place to raise your children. I mean, I guess, except for all of the incredibly unethical doctors running around. I I really don't want to raise my kids in a town where you have the one doctor who thinks murder-suicide is the solution to any mental health issue. After 15 years of complete and total social isolation, and the other one just cuts off people's legs because he thinks that they're a little fast and loose flirting with girls. He commits murder-suicide because he can't think of anything else to do about mental health problems, and he's only the second- possibly third worst doctor in town. (laughs) Is there a third doctor in town? Paris is also pretty shitty. Yeah, but at the time, he's not a doctor. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, really, that's the only thing I can say about that. (laughs) Yeah, I have two or something. I don't know. I feel like murder-suicide is the noble solution to mental health is so wildly offensive that I have to give this a one. Yeah, okay. I mean, I get that. Honestly, my two was just like, I don't care. I honestly don't want to give this movie the level of attention a one gets, you know? We do have a tendency to invoke ones as comparisons a lot, but we have given ones where we just forgot that movie forever. Yeah. A farewell to arms we never talk about. (laughs) Right. And we'll never talk about this movie. Don't watch this movie. No. I didn't even want to finish it. No. I was happy to not Bengal Lanzer it and still not finish it and just be like, fuck this movie and its horrible message. Uh, But I did because, you know, that's what we do is we always watch the full movie, even if we don't review it. When Paris finally comes back to town, there's a real, how is there 35 minutes of movie left? Like, what is there for him to do? And the answer is not much. The back half of this thing really drags for the fact that the first hour tries to be four separate movies for no goddamn reason. Yeah, whenever Paris is on screen after he comes back, 
there's either this over-the-top melodrama, like, with Louise screaming that she's going to expose her dead dad and her mom saying that she's going to have her institutionalized because of it, which really Paris is present for, but doesn't have anything to do with him. Or the four minutes where he falls in love with the girl who kind of looks like Cassandra, but also is coincidentally Viennese and lives in his old house, which is so boring. It was like the longest four minutes of my life. Yeah, there's not even any payoff. His sum total psychiatric expertise is, I've decided I'm not going to lie to a patient. Right. That's what he had to go to Europe for. And I'm not going (laughs) to lie to an asylum about my childhood friend's psychological condition so that she gets committed. It would make so much more sense if Dr. Tower killed his wife and himself And then Cassandra escaped somehow and was institutionalized because she was already in a pretty bad way. And then like Paris comes back and their love can never be, but he can treat her and progress can be made, you know? Like that would be something. And you would think after going to school in Vienna, he would come back and say, you know, maybe it was a horrible thing that I now own this house because of this incredibly unethical and frankly super fucked up thing where the doctor that I've looked on as my mentor was actually a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. But no, that doesn't happen. Anyway, the movie's bad. Don't watch it. Next week. Yankee Doodle Dandy. We have a big musical. This looks like the kind of thing where my, like, constantly shifting opinion of Jimmy Cagney's gonna flip back into the red zone, Susan. Does it? I have no idea what the story is. I just like a big, stupid musical. Okay. You know what? What I thought was blackface down there is is not actually blackface. Oh, no, that's just bad bad lighting. lighting. So it's just going to be a wildly patriotic musical, which we don't have a great history of, but we do like Jimmy Cagney, so... Yeah. Okay. And Joan Leslie is going to be in it, and she's pretty. (laughs) I can say that for her. Yeah. So tune in next week to find out if it's incredibly offensive or is just a rollicking good bit of escapism. Yep. And until then... Again, the one entertainment value was hearing Ronald Reagan become a leftist the moment his legs got cut off. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. What's the matter? I hate to see that boy go away. He's the best friend I've got. He's a nice boy, isn't he? The very best.